Good morning, church. Thanks for joining in, and I'm blessed to have this opportunity to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible close to where you're at right now, go ahead and uh, grab it and um, turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Luke 13, 10 to 17. And as we prepare to hear the word of God today, let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you, our Father, would invite us into your household today, even as we are gathered around um, our tables, our computers, uh, however we are worshiping today. Uh, Lord, invite us into your household to hear your word, to be empowered by the spirit that you send to all the corners of the world. We pray in the name of our one God, amen. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you have been set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be cured and not the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we hear this story, our minds make an immediate translation from the world of the first century when Jesus was walking the earth to our 21st century context. When we hear that this woman was oppressed by a crippling spirit, and we hear the description of her illness, our modern scientific brains kick into gear, wondering what this woman's actual affliction might be. It turns out through the power of Wikipedia that this woman had ankylizing spondylitis, I'm also grateful that Wikipedia helps you pronounce things. It's an arthritic condition in the spine, inflammation that causes a progressive fusing of the vertebrae, that causes one to hunch over. Without that translation, this story is almost unintelligible to us. How could a spirit cripple this woman? In what sense can Satan be accused of holding her in bondage? Can you imagine going to an orthopedic doctor today and being told, ah, I see the problem, you have a spirit that's attacking you, that's beating you down, causing you to hunch over. I can't help you. Uh, Maybe go see your therapist or your pastor and maybe they can set you free from this spirit that is causing you to hunch over, the spirit that's afflicting you. If that's the news we got from the orthopedist, we probably would seek out a second opinion. We might even report that doctor to his credentialing board. 
We don't tend to believe in the spiritual world as such, even if we say that we do, even if we believe that God is living and active in our worlds. Uh, honestly, it's because it's hard for us to see any evidence that there's something going on behind the scenes. Our eyes and our minds aren't programmed to see it. We look for scientific causes and effects for everything we observe. And honestly, that gets us pretty far. In pre-modern societies, belief in God was assumed, and with that, this, with that assumption came a general understanding that there was some supernatural cause behind everything. And today, our default response on the other end is to assume a physical cause for every incident. In our reading of this story, then, we can just cross out the spirit, can cross out Satan, and say that this woman simply has a medical condition. She needs a doctor, and in lieu of modern medicine, Jesus and his miraculous healing ability are her best option, or at least so we assume. In this congregation, we try to intentionally reprogram ourselves to remember that God is living and active in our world by sharing God sightings. And uh, I guess since we're worshiping virtually now, you'll have to give your God sightings online. Um, you can leave some of those in the comments, perhaps. Every week in worship, we have a brief open time of sharing in which we are asked to share what God has been doing in our lives and where we have seen God's hand at work. It's a hard thing to do, to keep our minds and eyes tuned to find God and to uh, kind of think through where God might be in our story. And so more often than not, when someone takes a risk to share a place where they have seen God at work, and God's spirit, someone in the congregation lets out an audible groan. It's not the same person every time. Many more of us groan silently. It's just that a few of us let our skepticism slip out because we operate in the physical world. Our inner skeptics scream out into our minds, this is not what the Sabbath is for. We are here as good Presbyterians to rest from our labors, by singing, by praying, our list of concerns, by hearing a short talk about a passage of scripture and leaving the building no more than one hour after the start of the service. That's why we are here. It is physical, simple, observable, and understandable. Isn't it ironic that now we're forced to change that rhythm due to the coronavirus? Our lack of spiritual sight causes us to assume that because the physical church doors are closed, because there's only like five people here actually uh, hearing this sermon, because we cannot meet in groups of 10 or more people, the church is therefore closed. We're forced instead to remember that there is something more than our physical presence in the world. There is something more that connects us. And there's also something more that tries to beat us down. The problem with our obsession with the merely physical is that it leaves us without any understanding of the nature of our human condition and how creation, uh, how creation is stuck in a condition as well. And if we don't know the cause of our situation, how can we possibly be delivered from it? If the physical is all that we have, then there isn't any true salvation for any of us. We'll just be stuck relying on beneficial but incomplete physical remedies. Nothing can save us from the reality of our eventual physical death. All of the toilet paper, Clorox wipes, and N95 masks that we are hoarding can't save us. And if you have a stockpile of N95 masks at home, please go to your local first responder or hospital and drop them off because they need them. What could be done for this bent-over woman in today's modern medicine. 
We like to imagine most of the time, when we're not assaulted by a global pandemic, as 21st century moderns, that we have all of the answers. We see the problems and we have a solution, but this woman's condition is just as chronic and incurable in the 21st century as it was in Jesus' day. To this day, we can only treat symptoms of this disease. Modern medicine has a different complex Latin name for this woman's condition, but no silver bullet and no cure. This woman represents all of us with chronic ailments that have no complete cure. Even when their condition is well managed, the disease hides in the background, ready to appear again. From psychological conditions like depression or bipolar to degenerative diseases like Parkinson's to our constant fight against cancer, our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, friends, enemies, and ourselves cry out for cures. But many live with conditions for which there does not seem to be a cure, like this woman with ankylizing spondylitis. So what do we do when an individual has an infirmity that cannot be cured in the full embodied physical sense of the word? Or in this time, especially as the world is infected with the coronavirus, we might ask, what should we do when the world is infected with a contagion, a virus, for which there is no readily available physical inoculation. Now we're on to something. It turns out we're as helpless today in the 21st century as the desperate and downtrodden were in the first century Palestine. We need a savior to heal us and to save us from our infirmities. I wish today that I could say that Jesus can offer healing of a kind light years ahead of what medicine can currently provide, that the power that Jesus had that healed this unnamed woman 2,000 years ago can instantly cure you of arthritis, cancer, depression, or whatever else affects you today. That somehow a sprinkling of holy water or some oil will inoculate you from the coronavirus. I wish that we could say one simple prayer today in worship and send the coronavirus into the pit of hell. Some people might be willing to make such pronouncements and put on a grand spectacle and sell you some snake oil, but medical cures are way above my pay grade. Even if there was no easy cure, even if there is no easy cure for our chronic human condition, the message of the gospel is that there is healing for us and a savior that can save us. As long as we focus on our individual infirmities, we're doomed to suffer and fail under the weight of the human condition. But our scripture tells us clearly and decisively that there is something behind this painful chaos that kept this woman hunched over on the Sabbath day. The Bible paints a word picture of this multifaceted reality. Sin with a capital S, death with a capital D, Satan, the powers and principalities, the spiritual forces and the heavenly realms, according to Ephesians 6. In the beginning of it all, the book of Genesis tells us that God's desire for the world was a lush garden of beauty and wholeness, but because of one transgression out of a desire for personal autonomy, that picture was shattered. Sin, this contagion, a virus with an untreated 100% fatality rate had infected the world. And thus, as we know, husband and wife turn on one another, brother rises up against brother, human relationships are broken by transgressions, yes. But the problem is much deeper than any one of us. 
Scripture tells us that individual transgressions, these sins that we commit, are not the only problem. No, the whole system of being is infected. Our behaviors are caught in a web of, a wider web of pain and suffering that we can't control. Try making one purchase, one personal decision that doesn't have a negative effect on another human being. You can't do it. It's like trying to go about your day without spreading the coronavirus. The reality is that just like with coronavirus, you're spreading the infection of sin and death wherever you go, even if you're not currently symptomatic. The power of sin has cut us off from the tree of life. It's affected our DNA. It dwells within us like a virus, cutting our time short, subjecting us to suffering and pain. As St. Augustine put it, the whole human race, like this woman, was bent over and bowed down to the ground. Together we cry out against this enemy to God. With this woman, with our fragile earth, with the entire cosmos, we groan out for redemption. We're bent over, we're resigned to our fate, except that we have this hope of Paul in Romans 8, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. On that Sabbath day 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus released that woman who had been crying out for 18 long years from her bondage. So I guess a couple months quarantine maybe because of the coronavirus isn't so bad. Yes, Jesus did have the supernatural power to cure her, but more importantly, Jesus saw that woman and he healed her. He restored her. He gave her the freedom of the children of God from her captor. Wherever we're at right now, now is the time for our release from bondage. Now on this Sabbath day is our time for healing. The thing that keeps us from deliverance and healing from the twin powers of sin and death, especially in the church, is that we refuse to acknowledge and take up our afflictions. And if we don't acknowledge our common sickness, we're certainly not going to create the space for our healing. In our minds, often, church is a rescue raft for those who aren't infected by the contagion, the virus of sin and death. And so sometimes we got, get caught up in putting on a religious show in a season like Lent. Our life isn't hard enough. We don't actually have an affliction. We don't carry sin with us. So we find ways to voluntarily suffer to show how good and religious we are or to earn our place as one of the good religious Sabbath keepers, like the synagogue leader. But it turns out all of this false piety has been stripped from us this Lenten season. There are no more fish fries left to convince us that we're doing our religious duty by eating fried food. There's no more gatherings of people in which to adopt a solemn expression to show people how terrible our fast is making us feel. And right now, because of the coronavirus, there is no way to deny that we are all infected by the contagion, the virus of sin and death. Look at the empty supermarket shelves, decimated by those who are, who are hoarding supplies for themselves. Look, listen to the constant lies and deceit. Look at the invisible forces that subject us to death. We carry viruses within our bodies without knowing that can bring death to those who are most vulnerable. In this season of Lent, our local ministerium decided that take up your cross would be the theme of our gatherings together. Those midweek services may have been canceled by the virus, but what an opportunity we have together now to take up the crosses that are before us, to pick up our pain and suffering, to pick up the sign of our sin and death, and to ask Jesus to take that weight from us. 
Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up my burden. It is the burden of the whole world, and it will be light. Take up my yoke, and it will prove to be an easy yoke. Reflecting on that passage, the great Christian spiritual writer Henry Nouwen writes, this is the mystery of the Christian life. It is not that God came to take our burden away, or to take our cross away, or to take our agony away. As I've been saying in this sermon, Jesus did not come to cure us of our humanity. No, God came to invite us to connect our burden with God's burden, to connect our suffering with God's suffering, to connect our pain with God's pain. When we hear that we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus, we often believe that we need to make a cross to follow Jesus, that we somehow need to take on some external suffering outside of ourselves and be hard on ourselves. Now one reminds us, and this is especially true today, that we have a lot of problems already. We do not need any more. Church, we do not need to make a cross. We don't need to cause ourselves pain. Our cross is already in front of us. There is no one watching the sermon who does not in some way carry the suffering of sin and death in their bodies. Right now, we know that better than ever. The only thing that separates us is that some of us have chosen to pick up that suffering and acknowledge it, while others of us try to hide that virus that lives within them. The bent-over woman who went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day took up her cross. She could hardly hide it. She could not have not taken up her cross. The infection of sin and death was visible on her body for all to see. Everyone knew her affliction that comes from this broken world. We don't take up our cross to show off how much we can suffer. We take up our cross so that we will be healed and set free. That's exactly what the Benover woman did. She participated in the Sabbath, a gift given to the people of Israel as they were set free from the bondage of sin and death in Egypt under Pharaoh. The Sabbath reminded her and it reminded us that we were once enslaved in Egypt. We were once pushed down by the powers and the principalities. The thing that kept the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt is the same thing that bent over this woman. It's the same thing that breaks all of creation. It's cancer, it's chronic illness, it's the coronavirus, it's sin and death. It's what we call the human condition, and we all need healing. Today, we need to ask ourselves, what is our unique suffering? What cross do we bear? And then, like the bent-over woman, we need to take up that cross and follow and bring that suffering to Jesus. Henry Nouwen writes that this is what Jesus means when he asks you to take up your cross. He encourages you to recognize and embrace your unique suffering and to trust that your way to salvation lies therein. Taking up your cross means, first of all, to befriend your wounds. Taking up our cross means taking up our unique part of the human condition. It means taking up our unique bondage to sin and death and bringing it to Jesus, not for a quick cure-all, not for Jesus to take that cross from us, but for the healing that comes through dying to ourselves and being raised up with Christ. As the Lord told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect, not in strength, but in weakness. And as Paul said in response, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I want to end the sermon today with a story about a boy who needed to take up 
the cross of his pain and suffering to follow Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in the Narnia story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, writes that there was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Eustace was an insufferable boy, a child who bullied other children and adults alike. He was better than everyone else, and he knew it. He had the right opinions. He knew all about what was physically possible, and he knew that his cousins, who spoke of the land of Narnia, were full of it. There was no such place and there could not be. The boy Eustace in the stories crossed to bear the wound from which he was operating was his jealousy of his cousins Edmund and Lucy and their sibling bond. It was a cross that he needed to take up, a wound that he needed Christ to heal. Everything changes in the story when Eustace is pulled kicking and screaming into Narnia, that impossible world that could not exist, the spiritual realm of which he did not believe. As the story continues, Eustace Clarence Scrub eventually wakes up to find that he is not a boy at all in this land of Narnia. Instead, he looks down and he sees the claws and the scales of a dragon. The boy Eustace in this realm of Narnia now shows his sin. He shows his infection on the outside. Unable to hide from his pain anymore, Eustace cries out for help, and Aslan, the Christ figure in Lewis's allegory, comes to him and says, follow me. Now in front of Aslan, in, in front of this glory and perfection, Eustace tries desperately to free himself from his dragon form, this suffocating sin, by scratching and clawing himself. He tries to shed the outside layers of his condition by inflicting pain to free himself. How often do we do the same, just scratching at the surface of our condition? But under the outside layers of the sin is another and another and another. Sin and death has enveloped him. The boy Eustace seems to be dragging all the way down. But Aslan the lion tells him, you will have to let me take off those scales. Aslan the lion who is not safe but is good tears into Eustace's dragon flesh. Layer upon layer of the sin and death that has been suffocating the boy Eustace is removed in one fell swoop. And Aslan picks up the raw, healed, freed boy Eustace and drops him into the pool, symbolizing baptism. After this, after Eustace is set free, those who see and interact with him can't believe their eyes. They can't believe it's him. Eustace was never so kind and understanding. But this freed boy Eustace unchained from the shackles of sin, rescued from the mouth of the dragon of death, healed from the virus that infects humanity, is now more himself than he has ever been. Church, if we take up our suffering and share it with Christ, if we take up our cross and follow him, what pain will we endure to be healed? What dragon scales will have to be stripped off what will we have to allow God to do for us? Maybe the pain of acknowledging our sins to a friend or a relative or our accountability group. The pain of stripping off our false self to the truth that lies underneath, like Eustace, shedding the dragon scales. The pain of removing ourselves from toxic situations 
and negative influences. The pain of faith and trust, knowing that things really are uncertain right now and there's no security in this life. The pain of acknowledging and persevering through a chronic condition for which there is no cure. The pain of acknowledging that none of us will get out of this infected world alive. And ultimately, we'll need to endure the pain of picking up the cross of our common infection of sin and death. Son of Adam, daughter of Eve, are you suffocating inside the oppression of the dragon of sin and death? If so, come to the healer. Let him cut into the lies and the false self that you might be set free. Child of God, are you bent over from the weight of the burden that you carry right now? Stand up, take up your cross, and be set free to follow Jesus that we might all rejoice and what God is doing on this, the Sabbath day. There may not be a cure for the task of cross-bearing, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory of healing through Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, and with us always through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.